0: Placed is a podcast about the geography of the Bible and the geography of our lives. Through Story, we'll explore the wilderness and the pastures of the biblical world. As we see how God is at work in every landscape, we'll find our place in the story of Scripture. Welcome to Placed. I'm your host, Kelsa Graybill. You can download a map and show notes for today's episode at my website, kelsagraybill.com. Hey guys, I'm Kelsa Graybill and welcome back to Placed. I am so excited to share today's episode with you because it is on the book of Ruth, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And it's also been extra special because I've gotten to walk through it this spring with a group of middle and high school girls and their questions, their thoughtfulness, their ideas have really um, challenged me to think about the book in new ways. and. Just seeing their excitement every week has made me even more excited about this book. So if you're listening, ladies, thank you for walking through Ruth with me this spring. We have just come off of Easter and part of the beauty and the wonder of the resurrection is that Jesus is always going to have a body. I remember learning this in seminary and... It kind of blew my mind i hadn't thought about the fact that for all eternity jesus will have a body and so he's the first new human and he will forever have solidarity with humanity and today he is advocating for us before god's throne and this solidarity is the good news of the gospel it's the good news of god with us of heaven breaking into earth But if your experience has been anything like mine, you've probably had times when it doesn't feel that way. When God feels absent, he feels distanced. And during these times, sometimes it's only through the solidarity and love of friends in our lives that we can remember and call to mind God's presence. This background paves the way for us to understand what's happening in the book of Ruth. Naomi, who we're going to follow today, um, has experienced relational and economic poverty. She is really in a desperate position and it's brought her to the place where she says that God has made her life very bitter. She even says, God's hand is against me. And it's through the loyal love of Ruth that she's going to experience the depths of God's love and faithfulness to her. And it's going to be in this place known as the Judean hill country, this tightly knit community, that God is going to knit Naomi back together through the love and care of her community. Let's dive in and explore this beautiful story, this resurrection story together. Naomi and her family are from the tribe of Judah, so they live in the Judean hill country. This is the area west of the Dead Sea. It's about 40 by 12 miles in size, and it stretches from Bethlehem in the north to Hebron in the south. They're about roughly 40 miles apart. And big surprise, the Judean hill country is very hilly. Last week we talked about the Jezreel Valley and how flat land is fruitful land. Well, that just means that in the Judean hill country, it's a lot more work to farm and to develop the land. The soil is rocky and the hillsides erode easily. So they have to build up terraced plots of land, these smooth raised beds on the hillsides with rocks to um, prevent erosion. And they're like raised beds, which create flat growing spaces. But terraces can take generations to build and to maintain. So I like to say it is all hands on deck in the Judean hill country. You cannot survive by yourself. And my middle and high school girls, almost every week, someone will say, I didn't know it was so hard to survive back then. Because there is no Walmart, there is no Amazon.com, there's no grocery store. It's a subsistence economy, not a surplus economy. So you're working for survival. And so you need land and children to survive. That's your insurance policy, your credit card, your bank account, all rolled into one. And it takes all hands on deck to survive. So when the book of Ruth opens, we immediately see, oh no, these are the two resources that Naomi and her family are missing. They don't have land because first of all, there's been a famine in Judah and so they've left and they've emigrated east across the Dead Sea to Moab. Then not only do they not have their land anymore, but they also don't have children. Naomi's two sons have died, and her husband has also died. So now it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. They're alone. So we read this story, and it's tragic. This is devastating loss. They've gone through famine, they've been immigrants, and now they've lost half of the family. But when we read it in the context of the Judean hill country, this story is also a survival tale. Because without land and children, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth literally can't survive. They can't make it on their own. And so it's this desperation that shapes Naomi's view of God. She tells her daughter's-in-law that God's hand is against them, and she expects only harshness from him. And... She decides to go back to Judah. She's heard that the famine is lifted, and she suggests that Orpah and Ruth return to their families of origin. Orpah recognizes, yep, this is a pretty hopeless situation, and she goes back. But Ruth interrupts this narrative, and it's this foreigner who is from Moab who is the one in this story who embodies God's relentless love. She steps in at this dark moment and she speaks words of tribal loyalty and commitment to go with Naomi. These are the famous lines that you've probably heard before. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth is actually changing her tribal affiliation from a Moabite to a Judahite, and she's standing in solidarity with Naomi when Naomi has nothing to offer her. These are two widows headed back to the Judean hill country, where as women, they are helpless to reclaim their land. But all is not lost because of Ruth's loyal love. So they returned to Bethlehem. We already said Bethlehem is the northern end of the Judean hill country. And Bethlehem comes from two Hebrew words, house of bread or house of food more generally. It's the place of food because its growing conditions are perfect for grain. and. Not only that, but it's this tightly knit community. It's just south of Jerusalem, tucked beside the ridge route that we talked about in episodes one and two. So Naomi and Ruth come back and Naomi's friends hardly recognize her. They turn to each other and say, wow, can this really be our friend Naomi? And she tells them, no, I am not Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. The name Naomi means delight or pleasantness, but she instead takes a name that means bitterness and she tells them, you know, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And we sit with her in the grief of that. And it's painful. And you imagine the questions running through her head. How are they going to survive? What is that going to take? What is that going to look like? Will anyone step in to help them reclaim their land? Will they get it back? But follow me as we see Ruth's solidarity in her darkest hour. It's spring. It's the time of the barley harvest. And usually the men would go and cut down the barley and the women would follow and collect it and then carry it to the threshing floor. And the law in Leviticus 19 verses 9 through 10 made provisions for the poor to gather around the edges of the field. It's a practice you may have heard known as gleaning. It gave those who um, were on the margins of society and less resourced, people maybe without a big family, um, it gave them a way to participate in providing for themselves. So Ruth goes out, she's gleaning, and coincidentally, she ends up in the field of Naomi's male relative, um, which is interesting because if you know biblical law, you know that it had to be a close male relative who could step in and help them reclaim their rights to land and children. This relative you may know, his name is Boaz, and he has already heard reports about Ruth's solidarity with Naomi. And he tells her, um, and he tells his Harvesters, that he is so impressed with her loyalty to her mother in law. And as a result, he goes out of his way to care for her. He makes sure that she is served roasted grain for lunch, which is a harvest time treat. I haven't tried it. Let me know if you have what you think. And Boaz also instructs his harvesters to actually leave extra grain behind for her so that she can glean more. And so we see that Ruth's solidarity and her generosity toward Naomi is contagious. It started this chain reaction, and now it inspires Boaz to stand in generosity and solidarity with Naomi, just as Ruth has done. And Boaz's solidarity is put to the test in two key places. First, the threshing floor, and then the city gate. So after the barley is harvested, it's carried to the threshing floor, and a threshing sledge is used to break the hard kernels apart and to separate the grain from the chaff. And often, several of the farmers would sleep at the threshing floor to watch over the crop to prevent any damage or stop any theft. Naomi sends Ruth to the threshing floor, and she instructs her to ask Boaz to step in as their guardian redeemer. A guardian redeemer is a term in the Hebrew Bible, but it's, it's a legal term, not like a religious term like we typically think, and it refers to a well-resourced man in the family who could provide for the needs of the rest of the family. It's someone who could step in and restore them to their place in the family, And you can read more about this in Sandra Richter's amazing book, The Epic of Eden. I highly recommend it. It's a great introduction to the Old Testament and the idea of redemption. So Naomi thinks because Boaz has been so generous to them that he might be willing to step in as their guardian redeemer. And in a scene that is dripping with scandal, we don't have time to go into all of it today, but Ruth goes to the threshing floor during the night and she asks Boaz to serve as their guardian redeemer. And Boaz responds to this first call with solidarity and compassion again and he affirms Ruth's loyalty and he calls her a woman of strength. This is a word that often translators say is like a virtuous woman or a wife of noble character, it's the same term used of the Proverbs 31 woman, which is interesting because in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth and Proverbs are next to each other in canonical order. But this word does not really mean noble or virtuous. It's not really um, talking about, about that. It's, it's really a word that describes one's social standing or bravery in battle. And so by using this term, Boaz is affirming Ruth's strength to stand with Naomi through this crisis. He sees that and he affirms that in her. But unfortunately, he has some bad news. There's actually a more closely related relative who should serve as the guardian redeemer. Not him. And so this announcement leads us to the town gate in the second test of Boaz's solidarity. When you hear town gate, don't think of like a metal wire fence, you know, with you lift the latch and go in. Gate in the ancient world, this is probably stone. It has seats for the elders of the city to gather. The town gate is a place of commerce, of judgment, of decision-making, of religious ceremonies. In the ancient world, the gate is the gathering place. And so here Boaz and the other relative, the more closely related one, go and they come to the elders to hear the case. Now the other relative eventually refuses to act as the guardian redeemer because he wants to protect his own survival and his own estate. You can read about that in Ruth chapter 4 verse 6. But ironically, because he's so intent on protecting himself, Um, He goes unnamed, and he's forgotten, and the Bible calls him Mr. So-and-so, and he is an exact contrast to the solidarity and loyal love of Ruth and Boaz. He's so focused on maintaining his own property and resources that he doesn't want to invest in caring for these two widows, and he misses his chance to embody the love of God. But Boaz steps forward again And he stands with Naomi and Ruth, agreeing to serve as their guardian redeemer. He takes Ruth as his wife, but in keeping with his role as the guardian redeemer, their children will be the legal children of Ruth and her deceased husband, actually. And so we come to the end of the story and we see that Ruth and Boaz have a child, Obed. And it's this beautiful moment that one of my middle school students called a Disney movie moment, and she's on to something because this moment is a taste of the redemption of our God who will make everything new. This is a story of resurrection. It touches every part of our lives, and it is restoring everything in creation. It's beautiful. But we started out talking about how sometimes we don't feel that. Sometimes God feels absent. Sometimes, like Naomi, we say, Wow, it feels like God has turned his hand against me. Yet, Naomi's friends and neighbors who first asked, Can this be Naomi? They play an important role at the end of the book. Because this time, they get to rejoice with her and praise God that this older woman who lost her husband and lost her sons, now again dwells with her family and has her land back in the tightly knit Judean hill country. And at Obed's birth, these friends and neighbors speak up and they tell her, wow, Ruth loves you so much and she is better for you than seven sons, which is a completely remarkable statement in a patriarchal culture. And they say, Naomi has a son. Not Ruth, interestingly enough. But they're pointing to the fact that Naomi now is provided for. And this is the final dialogue in the book of Ruth. And it's a stark contrast to the beginning. This woman who came back so distraught, so hopeless, that she changed her name to Mara, she is now experienced resurrection, and she can now again live as Naomi, darling or pleasant one. And the tables have turned because of Ruth's solidarity. Ruth walked with her through the darkness of grief and the desperation of survival, and her standing inspired Boaz to do the same thing. In the tightly knit Judean hill country, God knit Naomi and knit her family back together through the love and solidarity of their friends and neighbors. But there's one more piece to the book of Ruth. This is a genealogy in the last few verses teaching us that Obed is the grandfather of King David. And if we flip to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, we see that Obed is the great, 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 lots of greats, grandfather of Jesus. And that should start us thinking, because Jesus also came to Bethlehem as a stranger. Jesus also came to Bethlehem to show solidarity to those who were in a desperate situation. Jesus also made an incredible statement of solidarity. He told his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. But he promised to be with them always, even to the end of the age. And when he says that, we hear these echoes of Ruth, who also came to Bethlehem and said, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Friends, let the story of Ruth remind us, we have a God who is with us. We have a God who expresses solidarity with our suffering, who grieves with us, who walks with us. This is the good news of Easter. God came to stand beside us when we were in a desperate place and to show us in the flesh God's loyal love. And sometimes we will have seasons where we do not sense or feel His solidarity when the darkness of our circumstances blocks it out, just like storm clouds block out the sunlight sometimes. But that doesn't mean it's not day. It just means we're not experiencing it at that moment. And that's when we need friends who can carry us to Jesus and remind us of his presence. You may remember the story of the paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. He physically can't make it to Jesus on his own. So actually his friends carry him there and then they make a hole in the roof of the house and they have to lower him down to Jesus. And Mark 2 verse 5 tells us that Jesus forgives his sins when he sees the faith of those who carried him. Did you catch that? The faith of those who carried him. Sometimes we are Naomi or the paralyzed man and Sometimes, it is the faith of others that carries us to Jesus. And sometimes, we are Ruth or Boaz or the friends, carrying our friends to Him and standing beside them. Easter invites us to this work of solidarity. As we conclude, I invite you to think, who are the people who have reminded you of God's presence with you? And who are the people that you are called to walk in solidarity with during this season of your life? I want to close with this prayer. God of solidarity, you do not leave us as orphans, but you are God with us in our distress. Thank you for those who have stood beside us in our darkest hours. Grant us your loyal love that we may stand beside others in their darkest hours. Show us Jesus and teach us to trust his loyal love. Amen. Go in peace. Whether today you are wandering through the wilderness, making your home in a highway land, or resting beside green pastures. May you know the comfort and calling of the one who places us. Subscribe now to receive new episodes every Thursday and help us out by leaving a review to invite others to journey with us. You can download the show notes and a beautiful watercolor map of today's episode at my website, kelsagraybell.com. I'm Kelsa Graybell, and thanks for listening to Placed.